Typically, at a point like this, I would say, are there any volunteers in the room? But today, since we've been talking about election, I have chosen, I have chosen, of my own free will, okay, I have chosen one person in this room to be the sermon illustration today. Who is it? Who is it? Now, just like the Lord, the Father, when He chooses us, He calls us by name. And so, I am about to call by name this special someone who is to be the recipient of something very special today. Are you ready? Do we feel the tension? I did this in the first service, and I called the name of a kid that had already left. <laughs> They're like, he left. Oh, whoops. Okay, the name is Rowan Haystack. Come on up here. I got something for you, Rowan. Let's give her a round of applause. Okay. Come on up. Now, thank you for your courage. Thank you for coming up today. I have right here a $20 bill, okay? Now, here's the thing. This is yours. I am giving this to you. It is as good as yours. However, you have to wait a little while before you can take ownership of it fully, okay? So it's yours, and I, I promise that it's yours. You're going to receive this, but not yet, okay? I'm going to put it right here. This is Rowan's $20 bill. It's right there, okay? So you just hang out with us and listen to the sermon, and then at some point, you will inherit this, this $20 bill. Sound good? Shake on it? Okay, good plan. Thank you, Rowan, for your help. Okay. Wow. There are some things that I think this illustration will help bring out for us as we move through these verses. We're in 1 Peter Chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. And I titled the sermon, Immeasurable Wealth. Immeasurable Wealth. And no, I am not a prosperity gospel preacher. No, that's, it's not that kind of sermon. This is the kind of sermon that we need today to consider what is coming in days ahead. Immeasurable Wealth. What I want to do is just move through these three verses. We're getting really ambitious here. Three verses today. Um, we're going to move word by word, line by line, and unpack all that is in here. Peter has written spectacular words here that are good for us. And so let's dive in here. By way of review, last week we covered election and how he begins in verse 1 by bringing out the doctrine of election. God has chosen you, Christian. And yet at the same time, because of that, the world has rejected you. When he chooses you for holiness and you all of a sudden find yourself in a world that is set against holiness, you find yourself as a stranger, a sojourner, an alien in your own land here. That is true of every Christian. As we are changed to be more and more like Christ, we stand out from the word. We've been called out of darkness and sent in to shine. And so that's the backdrop of these verses. Now, Peter is going to give us six reasons to praise the Lord today. So this is really a call to worship. That's why I had Steve read this passage as our call to worship. Because this is a call to you, believer, to praise your Father. Okay? Six reasons to praise the Father. Listen to how he introduces it in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And i got to confess, when I'm in my devotional time and I read a verse like that, I just kind of keep going. But let's pause here and just stop. This is not just 
throwaway introduction words. No, these words count. Blessed be. What is that? Well, it's a recognition of how blessed, how holy, how beautiful and praiseworthy our God is. Blessed be. So the call is to the people, praise him for all of these reasons. Blessed be the God and Father. Okay, so now we're, we're understanding who is the praise targeting among the Godhead, those who make up uh, the one God, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, those who uh, among the members of the Trinity are worthy of all praise at all time, in all places, by everyone. We're talking about the Father right now, okay? The Father, the God and Father of, now these four words are special, of our, not just the, but of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That should floor you. That should stun you. That, that, that we could say that with that word of possession. He's my Savior. How is that possible? The verses we covered and the verses we're looking at display that. Our Lord, what does that mean? Well, it speaks to his sovereignty. He is the sovereign one. He is the one who sits on the throne in our lives. He calls the shots. But he's not just the sovereign one. He's also Jesus. Remember what his name means. He will save his people from their sins. So he is the sovereign saving, and then Christ, that's Messiah. The sovereign saving Christ is ours. And we are blessing the Father because he is. He's ours. Tremendous verses here. I think it's significant that this overflow of praise comes to equip the saints that Peter is addressing who are in the midst of persecution and suffering. Right? You remember how important it is that believers sing even in the midst of suffering. That we praise even through the pain. God has put these believers in a refining furnace of affliction and trial. In some cases, it's within their own families that they're dealing with persecution and, and betrayal and denial and, and, and dealing with violence and, and things like that. So we're going to see that as it unfolds. He calls them to praise the Lord, sing a song. There is a kind of praise that can only be known through pain. Let's say that again. There is a kind of praise that can only be known through pain. This is the kind of praise Job points us to. It's the kind of praise that I know a number of you have experienced. It's the kind of praise that we are all growing in. It is the gift of God. He loves us. He knows that what we need most is Him. And so He will often put us in situations of trial and challenge and, and, and circumstances that are hard so that He can show us how faithful and good He is to meet all of our needs. Oftentimes, comfort becomes primary in our inclination. We want comfort. We want our will, our way. And God will often arrange circumstances in our lives to show us that what we need more than comfort, what we need more than our will, our way, is Him. Is Him. So here comes the call to praise. Six reasons to praise the Lord, starting with this. Number one, an undeserved mercy. Verse three, second part of verse three, an undeserved mercy. According to his great mercy. Now, who's the his? Who are we talking about again? The Father, okay? 
according to his. This is the Father's great mercy that we're speaking of. God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. Now, just st stop there before you move on. Be surprised by his mercy. What does that say to us? One of the things it does in connection with election last week is it shows us that we are not worthy of this. We, we were not out there getting God's attention uh, and, and, and meriting his choice of us. We were not out there um, living in such a way that would call his attention to us as if somehow we deserve this. What were we doing? <laughs> what would we be doing apart from his mercy and grace? Rebelling, disobeying, delighting in the darkness, living as rebels against his will, being sovereign, my will, my way. I choose, right? That is our sinful inclination and bent. And so he's saying, it's according to his mercy that I am about to say these things. And not just mercy, it's great mercy. Mercy here translates uh, mercy or kindness or compassion. He saw us, and instead of wrath, which is what we deserve, he in his heart, stirred to compassion, stirred to move in kindness, stirred to withhold what was due, which was wrath, and to bestow his grace and kindness and mercy upon the rebels and sinners. That's all of us in this room. Our undeservedness and the Father's initiative, that's what's in view. I think this is what is causing Peter to explode in praise. Not only for his own story. Think, remember this. Do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Three times he called it. He's showing Peter personally the experience of grace. And friends, he has shown us that as well. Who here who has been saved can say, I deserve this. <laughs> None of us. None of us. We don't deserve his mercy, his love, his kindness, his compassion, his grace. But the Father took the initiative and he met us in our absolutely helpless state. What did he do? Well, we'll see that in a sec. Let me, let me show you these verses first. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? Who could stand? Who in this room? could say, I could stand before a holy, holy, holy God. None of us. If you were to mark iniquities, who could stand? Answered, no one. But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared, that is revered and obeyed. Revered and obeyed. He shows forgiveness. What is our overwhelming joy? I'm all yours. I'm yours. You bought me with the precious blood of Christ. Lead me on. Point the way. Your wish is my, your, your command is my wish. How does that go? Your wish is my command. There it is. John overflows with the same exuberance of, of, of delight and praise. See what kind of love the Father has given us. It's mercy. That we, the sinners, the rebels, should be called the children of God? And so we are. The awe, friend, believer, never stop being surprised by his grace. 
Don't ever get over it. I mean, as we studied John 3 this past week in the Bible study, we just stopped and we just said, consider this. He loved us. Why? Why did he send his son? Because he loved us. Not because we were lovely, not because we were worthy, but to reveal his great love and worth. This is the kind of love we've experienced. So, number one, we have received an undeserved mercy from the Lord. Second, we have experienced a supernatural new birth. A supernatural new birth. Let's see this unfold in verse 3. According to his great mercy, he has caused us. Let me say that again. He has caused us to be born again. Okay? Now these words are special. These, These words are simple. They're plain. This is a clear answer to the question, why are you saved, Christian? If you want to know this, categorically, point blank, the answer is because he caused you to be saved. That's pretty simple, isn't it? I don't know why there's such hubbub and and fuss about this topic. It's plain and clear in Scripture. It's according to his mercy, not our merit, that he has caused us to be born again. Now, this word, this phrase, born again, I think as Peter writes these words, he's hearing Jesus' exchange with Nicodemus. We just studied this in Bible study this past week. Amazing how the Lord lines these things up. Born again. Jesus says to Nicodemus, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. That's kind of a serious deal. You can't even see it unless you experience new birth. You can't see it. Nicodemus, with probably a little snarkiness, responds to Jesus, Well, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter into his mother's womb a second time and be born? Jesus answered, now listen to how Jesus expands the statement. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and that is born of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So you cannot see and you cannot enter the kingdom unless something happens first. What is that? New birth. It happens. It has to happen first. And then he goes on to to give some commentary. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of spirit is spirit. Okay? So we're talking about there was a day when your mom was like, Honey, it's time. And you rushed to the hospital. and, and, And you were born. Okay? That day. You didn't do that. That's what Jesus is saying. You didn't cause that. And actually, neither did your mom. Come and think of it. Who caused you to be born? God did. You can't take credit for it. Yeah, well, the day I was born, you know, I pushed the button and give a big kick, and then finally they got things. No. God brought that to pass. That's what Jesus is saying. His point is, you had nothing to do with it. Both your natural birth, when you were born, born of water, and your spiritual birth, when you were born of, of the Spirit. How do you know that you were born naturally? How do you know that you were born? You're here. There you are. You're alive. Right? Here I am. It's me. Okay? That's not hard, is it? How do you know that you were born spiritually? Same answer. I'm alive. I have life. Here's the wrong answer. Well, I, uh, I filled out the card. Well, I got dunked. Well, I, 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 I 
raised my hand. I, I, I prayed a prayer. I did this. I, I, I. You see the, in, the, the inconsistency here? We, we did things, absolutely. But that's not how you know that you were born. That's not the cause of your new birth. That's the effect of what God did in your heart. How could you ever choose Jesus if your eyes were blinded to him? You never would have seen a thing. But all of a sudden, you saw the light of the glory of God and the face of Christ. How would you run to him with love in your heart, repenting of your sin and saying, save me? How would you do that? If you had a heart of stone, you would never do that. He stirred in your heart to give you a new heart. He, he caused you to be born again. Hmm. You were born of the Spirit. Do not marvel, Jesus says, that I say to you, Nicodemus, you must be born again. Now just pause here. Why does he say this to Nicodemus? Nicodemus is a Pharisee. He is a ruler, Sadducee, sits on the 70-member council. He is a teacher of the law. He's a legalist, as it were. That's, that's it. He's looking to the things that he does as the basis of his standing with God. And Jesus stops him before he barely gets any words out, and he says, it doesn't work. That's not how salvation goes down. You must be born again. Born of God. The wind blows where it wishes. You hear its sound, but you do not know where it come from, comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. It means you can't predict the day that you'll be saved. You, you can't push the button and cause it to happen. God caused you to be born again. Hmm. So, to answer the question, do sinners, rebels, haters of God, natural-born sinners, children of wrath, have ultimate self-determination? Let's just answer this simply and categorically. Even just from this one passage, the answer is no. God does. God is the one who has ultimate, it's, I would say, divine determination over every single person who has ever been saved. He's the one who chooses. He's the one who causes new birth. He is the reason you are saved today. So, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. This is how you can say it then when you share your testimony. Don't spend a lot of time emphasizing all of the things that you did. It's so easy to, to wander into almost a works-sounding salvation if we do that. I would encourage you, emphasize what God did. He Loved me before there was time. He set his love upon me. He set me apart unto salvation. He sent his son, Jesus, to die on the cross to pay for all of my sins. And he was buried and raised. And then at the right time, when I was five years old, I heard the gospel proclaimed and he gave me ears to hear it like never before. It changed my heart to feel love for him. He stirred my will to release it into freedom, to run and embrace him. He saved me. You see the difference, sound? Who is receiving all of the glory as I rehearse how God saved me? God is. He is the cause. God saved us. That's a reason to rejoice, friends. Not, not in us, but in Him. It's a reason to rejoice. Now, the third reason to rejoice. A living hope. A living hope. 3D. Well, I got a lot of letters out of verse 3. 3D. I usually don't get to D, but this is fun. A living hope. 
Born again, okay, so going back to, this is where the two, to a living hope. It, born again to or into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So Christian, God has caused you to be born again to a living hope. That's amazing. This hope that is spoken of here is it's not wishful thinking, right? The Christian hope that we know in God is an eager, confident expectation of the life to come. It's confident. It's not like, well, I hope it works out. I mean, it's a little muddy to me and all that, but I'm, I'm, I'm kind of hoping that it's all good. If I were to ask you today, Christian, are you 100% sure that you are saved, that you are His, that you are headed for glory, no matter what? You can answer that, yes, because I have the hope. It's not a kind of hope. No, I have this hope. It's a hope, and it's built upon a promise. It's not built on me. It's established on the promise of God. What's this thing about living? What, in what sense is this hope living? Why is it living? Well, some say, well, it's because it's according to the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And I think, true, but I think that's the way we receive this accomplishment. It's, it's, we, we come into this new birth because of what Jesus has done. We don't work for it. He did, right? So then, why is this hope alive? I agree with Wayne Grudem when he said it. He, he said, this, this hope is alive because it grows. It grows. When you were saved, think of this, the day that you were saved... How much of the Bible did you know? Most of us knew a very little amount of this Bible. We knew enough, and, and the Lord stirred us to life and salvation. We trusted Jesus, and, and it was a simple belief in Him, and boom, we're saved. Living hope is ours. And yet, the hope that I knew back then when I was five has grown immensely as I have studied the Word of God, as I have walked with Him over these years, as I've seen Him prove faithful over and over and over. This hope lives and grows as we walk with him. It lives. It's, a, it's like a living thing that we're brought into the moment of salvation. It's a living hope. Hmm. It's one of the reasons we study the Bible. It's one of the reasons we share how God has worked. It's one of the reasons that we look to the hall of faith and, and consider how he answered the prayers and, and helped those who ran the race before us. We see that, and guess what? I stand even more confident on his promise. Why is this important? Because suffering happens. Persecution is real. Peter knows these people are going into the fire. They're, they're already in the fire in many cases. They need this confidence, this hope. No matter what comes. I'm his, and he's coming to get me. New birth through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. If there was ever a reason to rejoice, right? And I'm not just talking on Easter Sunday, right? I'm talking every day you wake up, Christian, before your feet hit the floor, you have reason to rejoice. Jesus is not dead, he's alive. Our Savior lives, friends, 
And that means that the stamp of the Father's approval has, has, has been applied to his finished work. The work is done. You, you don't have to try to earn something that's already finished. Look at these enemies that our Savior Jesus has absolutely obliterated. Sin, it's been broken. Power, it's been shattered. When once all we wanted was sin, now we have a heart for obedience. We have opportunity and resource to draw upon, to obey, to walk in holiness and light and please Him. We can say no to sin. The penalty for sin, paid in full. Every single sin you've ever committed or ever will commit has been paid in full by Jesus on the cross. Done. It is finished. That's reason to rejoice. Satan, the one who held us captive, the one under whose will we had no response, we were completely at his bidding because we had no power in us. Now we are temples of the Holy Spirit. We have God dwelling in us, he's been disarmed. Satan is disarmed. Death has been defeated. Who in this room could beat death? It's the great enemy, the great equalizer of sinners. Why do we die? Because we're sinners. It goes back to Genesis 3. We die because we're sinners. Against who? Against God. Death is the punishment that God doles out. Why do we not fear death? Because we don't fear wrath. Death now becomes a door. We don't have to fear death. And we certainly don't fear hell. The wrath has been paid. We have not just a judge in heaven anymore. We have a Father who loves us and has set His love upon us from eternity past. Our enemies have been dealt with. Every reason to rejoice. Number four, fourth reason to praise today is an enduring inheritance. An enduring inheritance. It's an inheritance that will never, ever be lost. Okay? Now we're getting into that inheritance part, Rowan. Are you excited about this? Okay, you're tracking with me. You're doing great, by the way. Look at that. Taking notes. Well done. Well done. Verse four. We have been born again to or into, think of this. So he's just listing all of these reasons, all the blessings of God. We don't have to be the recipients of inheritance, but God over the top just overflows this to us. To an inheritance that is, four words here, imperishable, undefiled, unfading, and kept in heaven for you. Now note this, there's a change. The plural to the singular. All of these things are true of all believers, but when he starts to talk about the inheritance, he's not talking about getting in a line and, and everybody gets the same. It's just a, you get this, you get this, and that. No, this becomes very personal. He says this, this inheritance is not just a general inheritance. This is yours and yours. This is for you. See, see the, the personal connection here? Let's look at this. There is, in fact, in this an already not yet, because the fact of the matter is we've been born again to it or into it. So it's ours. It's ours already, just like Rowan's $20 bill. That's hers. It's just a matter of time. So you have it, but you don't have it. Okay? We have life. We have, we have the Spirit. We have the promise. And it's ours. 
It's just a matter of realizing its full possession. I want you to consider the promised land and the people of God who wandered for 40 years in the wilderness, which I just was struck by that. God led them in circles in a desert for 40 years. That's our God. He's the one we worship. So uh, be careful about going gizmos. Easy on the grumbling, right? Just think of how many years, 40 years, he led them in circles. And then he led them into the land of promise. And this promised land was wonderful, right? Overflowing. A land of milk and honey. Oh, the beauty, the vineyards, the green, and, and these things. But it's nothing compared to what you have, Christian. That's what Peter's trying to say here. This, this, is, this is his comparison. You want to see what's coming for you, Christian? The eternal city of God is what you have a portion of. You have been apportioned part of this life, this land, as it were, the eternal land. Imperishable means there's no decay. It's not going to wear out. It doesn't wear out. Think of the land that, that God's people inherited back in the day. They had to work it. They had to defend it. They had to... to, to Deal with all kinds of challenges in it. Not so with you. Not, not so with what's coming for you, Christian. There's no decay. It'll never wear out. It's undefiled. Think of this. No sin in this land. There's no fear in this land. There's, there's nothing that would pollute this land. Nothing to fear at all. There's nothing that you will enter into in this inheritance and, and, and have to feel in anything, uh, you know, ashamed or like, oh, man, this, this, this is weird. No, it's over the top and it's fully approved. It's fully approved. It's unfading. There's no diminishing of this. The fact of the matter is, is I'm giving Rowan $20 and if this administration continues like they are, Frankly, that $20 is not going to go as far as it should. Not true with your inheritance, Christian. There's no inflationary issue that would cause what is glorious today to at all fade for you. It is ever beautiful and glorious. It's like going to the Grand Canyon for the first time. You are just overwhelmed. Look at that glorious creation of God. And the second time you go back and you bring people with you and take more pictures. And the third time, like, man, that's amazing, awesome. By the tenth time, you're like, okay, well, there it is, right? Not so in glory. There's no diminishing. There's no lack of awe a million years from the first year. Ten trillion years from now in glory, you will enter into a day with the same amount of awe and overwhelming delight as you did on day one. This is our God. This is your inheritance. And it's kept. Number four, it's kept for you, individually reserved. It's sure. It's secure. No one can infringe upon it. No one's going to build a house on your land 
and run their goats on your property. You don't have to worry about that. It's yours. It's totally yours as a gift from God, your Father. Hmm. Immeasurable wealth is yours, Christian. You can't even begin to put a price tag on what is waiting for you. Rowan, you've done a great job. I tell you what, I'm not going to make you wait any longer. Come up here and receive your $20 um, benevolent inheritance from your pastor. Okay, well done. Good job. Let's give her a clap. Good listening. Now, that's not going to happen every week, just so you know, okay? You keep taking those notes, but all right. Imagine, friends, if later today you found out that you stood to inherit 100 billion, not million, billion dollars at the end of this year. No questions. It's, it's signed. It's set. It's established. It's coming for you. Okay? A hundred billion. How are you going to live the rest of this year? You see what I'm talking about? When you realize what you have that is yours, and it's just a matter of time, it changes today and tomorrow. People that say, oh, this eschatology stuff, I don't want to study about the end times, and I don't want to learn about what's coming. I just let it pan out. I say, wrong. Everything that's coming is yours in anticipation today. It changes the way you live today. It changes how you think about the priorities of this life. Prosperity preachers don't like this kind of talk. They want you to focus on now, to give your everything, to build wealth for yourself now. Live your best life now. That is not the message of the Scripture. The message of the Scripture is, <laughs> you're already wealthy beyond all imagination. Why would you squander your days? It's coming to you. You're going to make Jeff Bezos look like a pauper. Even you young guys, you're richer than him already in Christ. So live your life with purpose and run to the prize. You are wealthy, immeasurably wealthy in Christ. Number five, a secure confidence. A secure confidence. This is such an important part of theology. This aspect of theology matters so much for Christians. Who, that is believers, are by God's power being guarded through faith. That is, all those who've been given this new birth, caused to be born again by God, are brought into this living hope. They're brought into this inheritance, and it's all through the work of Christ. And, and today, you, believer, by God's power, by the way, that's, that's infinite. There's no limit to that. You're being guarded through faith. Guarded through faith. The word guarded there is a fascinating word. It, it means to shield, right? So think of the connection with the shield of faith in Ephesians 6, right? The shield of faith. He guards us as we trust in him. Yes, but that's only half of the story. He, he does more than just protect us and shield us. 
He keeps us. He confines us, as it were. Um, he garrisons us in, is, is another way to see that word. He builds around us an impenetrable wall so that there is no possibility of our being lost. He holds you, he keeps you, and he protects you by his power. Hmm. Eternal security and increasing persecution. You ask, well, why is this comforting to the believers that Peter's writing to? The reality is that they may be saying, Peter, listen, we're worried. Like, what if we don't have the kind of faith we need to meet these trials? What if we just wimp out? What if we, what if we squander this? What if we fail? What if we walk away? What about this fickle heart of mine? How do I know that I won't lose this? All of these things you've spoken of, how am I confident that, that I'll make it? This is the confidence. He keeps you by his power through faith. So as you trust in him, as you cling to him with all that you have in you, you do so by his strength, such that he is, has, he's got his hands over yours. He won't let you go. He will lose nothing of all that the Father has given him. That is Jesus. He will raise it up on the last day. I remember... The first mission trip Jenny and I went on, we, we, we went with a group of like 30 people to Algeria just after 9-11, and we were going to put on a worship service on Easter in the Sahara Desert for um, a Muslim people group. Yeah, crazy, I know, it's absolutely nuts. We're in the, the, the airport there in Europe, I don't know where it was, but I sat down next to a guy, kind of a military looking guy, and I was like, hey, what do you do? He's like, I'm a... I'm a threat assessor for the military. I was like, oh, fascinating. He's like, what are you guys doing? I'm like, oh, we're just going to a, you know, Algeria to put on a worship service. We're a bunch of Christians from the States. And uh, he's like, no, no, no. He's like, don't do that. Do you, he, he's, and he says, it's just amazing how the Lord arranges these things. He says this to me. Do you realize how much Algeria is a hotbed of terrorism. How many people in Algeria right now would give anything to get a hold of Americans and put them in front of a camera and do all kinds of horrible things to them? And after I uh, got over the shivers of that exchange, we got on the plane, and guess what happened? Unexpectedly, our plane was diverted to a military base in northern Algeria. They took all our passports, took all our bags, put them on the tarmac, and then they paraded all 30 of us with our red coats. We were all wearing the same thing. Really smart, you know, so that these were just easy targets. Here we come in front of this massive group of people in this public space in, in, in Algeria at a military base. And, I mean, there's hundreds of people. And we're standing here like this. And I, I remember holding Jenny's hand and telling her, think of this now. I felt in that moment peace. I can't explain it. I said, babe, I didn't picture this being the way we were going to go out, but it wouldn't be a bad way for the Lord. If this is the way he wants to glorify himself through us, and this is the way we die, then so be it. I don't know where that came from, but we were at peace. Both of us, Jenny felt it too. What is that? That's him. Providing in those moments when we think there's no way I could hold up. He's like, 
I got you. I got you. I'm holding you. I'm supplying what you need. I will not let go. If we would have died that day, we would have met our Savior face to face and received our inheritance. God saw fit that that day we'd be loaded up on the plane, go to Algeria, do a worship service. The president of Algeria surprised us, showed up with all his military, scared us to death, and we lived. We ate a camel, got sick, came home, and we praised the Lord. That was our first mission trip. You can only go up from there, you know? (laughs) Eternal security. This is how we say it in our statement of faith. We believe and teach that all sinners who are sovereignly regenerated by the power of the the Holy Spirit are, are genuinely and securely and eternally saved. They are sealed by God's Spirit, washed by God's Word, kept by God's promise, and held by God's power. Here's our passage. As they live their lives in what? Persevering faith. Unto the end. How do we do that? By God's sustaining grace. That's true, Christian, of your life. He will keep you. And you will keep believing all the way to the end. What an amazing encouragement that is. When things go crazy in our life. He's with us. Just say this so it's clear as day. It is utterly impossible for a genuine child of God to ever lose their salvation. God simply will not break his promise. We are secure not because of us. We are secure because of him. He promised. He is faithful. It has never happened. And we tell stories. Yes, absolutely. We know people who did this. All we can understand is they went out from us because they were not of us. That's the only sense that we can make of that. I guarantee you this, though. They were never truly saved if they are now unsaved. That, 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 is, that is impossible. Eternal life is given. It is a promise, and it is certain all the way to the end. And friend, if you are here and you have it, rejoice. Rejoice. Number six, a certain future. A certain future. Born again for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. I love that word, ready. Ready. You know, it's like the Lord is sovereign. He is waiting. He is orchestrating, bringing all things into the right time. And when it's just right and it's all ready here, he's ready to go. And it's coming. There's no question of how this story will end. It's in your Bible. The ending is in your Bible. We know how it goes. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. That is a promise. That is a promise. Bank on it. When he comes. If you're already dead and your body is buried, then guess what? When Christ appears, your body will be raised, and your soul, which is already with Christ, will be reunited, and you will have a soul and a body on a new heaven and a new earth forever. If we're still here, when the Lord returns, guess what? We're going to blow some holes in the roof because we're going. We're going up to meet him in the air. The rapture. I'm rooting for that. I would just love for that to happen in my lifetime. Who knows? 
A new heaven and a new earth are coming. We are not just going to sit on clouds and play harps forever. No, we are going to live on a new heaven and a new earth with dirt and trees and beauty and glory unimaginable. No curse, no fall, no sin. Perfect. Better than Eden. Far better than Eden. It's coming. Listen to Revelation 22. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. It, it flows through the middle of the city. Also, on either side of the river, the tree. So, how does that work? Well, somehow maybe the roots come down and it grows over. I don't know. It's a tree on either side of the river. And listen to what this tree does. It, it has 12 kinds of fruit and it yields its fruit in each month, which, by the way, means there is time. There's time noted and passed in the new heaven and new earth. It probably won't be marked the same way we mark it now, right? But there's fruit and it changes every month. How cool is that? And the leaves of this tree are for the healing of the nations. Now, why do we need healing? I thought this was the new heaven and new earth. And all I can say is, there's a ton of mystery here. Somehow, this tree provides nourishment for the saints. And the nations come and bring their glory into this city. And the tree brings nourishment to us somehow. Okay? There's mystery and then look at this. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants, well, look, note the focal point, his servants will worship him. They will see his face. Don't, don't think that your experience in eternity is just going to spend like a thousand years like street of gold. I always wanted to see that. There it is. Look at the street. Come over and look at the street. <laughs> You're going to walk on it. Like it's, it's a street. And you're walking on it and you're staring at who? Jesus. The face of Christ. Without any diminished or, or, or hindered radiance. Like if Jesus would have revealed his glory on the Mount of Transfiguration like that, it would have completely wiped all those guys out. They weren't able to receive that kind of glory. But with new bodies, equipped for glory, we can behold him. And we will. We will see his face and his name will be on our foreheads. John goes on and he says, and night will be no more, right? No more night. They will need no light of lamp or sun for the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. Wow. Lots of stuff coming our way. It's certain, it's sure, and it's yours, Christian. And it's every reason to rejoice. Our response this morning is this. We have a Trinitarian praise in view here. Yes, we start by praising the Father, but look at all the connection to His Son and to the Holy Spirit's work. We have a glorious God, a God worthy of our praise. So church is not just about coming and having your intellect tickled. No, the goal is to learn that we may, might love. That's the goal. To, to, to behold so that we might bow in awe and adoration. That is our call. Today and every day this week, may that be your experience. A song of, of exploding praise for how God has been so kind to you, believer. He has shown immeasurable love 
He has revealed immeasurable glory. He holds you with immeasurable power. And he has given you an inheritance of immeasurable wealth. It's true of you today, Christian. Paul speaks of this to the Ephesians as he says this. He's praying for them that their eyes would, uh, the eyes of their hearts, that's a fascinating word, the, the eyes of their hearts, that they would see with, with eyes of faith, right? That they would be enlightened to know what is the hope to which he has called you and what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. There it is. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. Today, that's yours, Christian. So I want to close with this question. Have you been born again? Because if, if you haven't, I just want to say this. Nothing I've said up to this point relates to you. It's not yours. Uh, if you have not been born again, this is not true of you. But it could be. It could be. Okay? The call today for anyone here who has yet to, to repent of their sin and run to Jesus is do just that. Lock eyes with him. It may be that you walked in today and you had no idea that this would be the day that God the Father would cause you to be born again. So run and embrace the King. Bow before Him. Surrender your life to Him. Trust Him and Him alone to be the provision for your sins. And you will be saved. Listen to the promise of John chapter 6, verse 40. Jesus says, This is the will of my Father that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life. And I will raise, this is Jesus, and I will raise Him up on the last day. You too can be immeasurably wealthy. The only way to realize that is Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Oh God, I pray that you would stir even now to accomplish what we cannot on our own. Give faith Open eyes that are blind. Soften hearts that are hard. Stir a will of obedience and repentance and faith. Oh God, bring salvation, we pray. Pray that you would save. If there was be anyone here in this place that has yet to turn from their sins and trust Jesus as their Savior, that, that this would be the day, oh God, that they would experience this marvelous life. Thank you, O oh God, for all that you've done in us. We thank you that there were moments for many here in this room who have already experienced the power of your work to bring us from death to life through Jesus Christ. I pray that you would accomplish this for your glory. Lord, stir us to gratitude and rejoicing all week as we realize all that is ours by your mercy and grace in Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen.